You're listening to the Scale to Grow podcast, where we help service-based business owners to take the guesswork out of scaling and growing their business so they can pursue their passions. My name is Shauna, and I'm a business mentor to coaches and creatives, and I help them to get out of the day-to-day and focus on scaling and growing their business to the next level. I sit down with business owners to talk about their experiences, the lessons they've learned, and share tips and strategies on how you can build your business without the overwhelm. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Scale to Grow podcast. With me today, I have Deidre, who is the founder and CEO of Capshow. Capshow is a software that helps high-ticket coaches who podcast create their honey traps so they can use their podcasts to fill their email list and conversion events. So in the last nine years, Deirdre has founded and led seven businesses across five industries, which is impressive. And I've told her this. (laughs) And she's currently working with high-ticket coaches to get known visible and get leads using content honey traps. So today we are going to talk a bit about how to engineer your podcast to build community and convert listeners into customers. So I love, love, love this. Visibility plus content ultimately brings in leads. And this is always the question that comes up for everybody. How do I get more leads? And it's always the same thing. So I'm excited to be talking to you, Deidre, about this. And before I dive into it, please just tell me a little bit more about your journey. You know, seven businesses, five industries. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to pivot. There's a lot to just oh do. My gosh, so yes. let's talk about that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, <laughs> where do I even start? Oh, okay. So let me take you all the way back, um, maybe to even be- just before my entrepreneurship journey started. Um, I was yes. in corporate, like a lot of other great entrepreneurs. Um, I, you know, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm Asian of Asian descent. I grew up in Australia, in Sydney. And it was one of those stories of my parents were first migrants um, into Australia. And Mm. they did that because they wanted to give, you know, my brother and I better opportunities, a better life. And so I kind of followed the typical path of, you know, going to a really good school, taking all the tests to, you know, in order to do that. I, you know, got cheated from like third grade or something. I was playing the piano, you know, all of the typical, kind of typical things that you kind of see, that was me, right? I excelled in the academic side of things and so my parents actually wanted me to do medicine and (laughs) as as per usual um but I just couldn't I just didn't I think even at that age you know that would have been 17 18 I already kind of knew that there was this curiosity that that was burning inside of me to not be I guess pigeonholed into because once you do medicine you go down that path you're kind of you're you're a doctor right like yeah there are different doctoring things that you can do <laughs> but, like, this is, but you know like that wasn't I, I still didn't feel comfortable with going down that particular path especially so early so um, I negotiated and instead I did a law degree um, I did a law degree and a, a business degree I know right <laughs> 
<laughs> so it was, yeah, it was just one of those things that um, I, I knew even going into law that I was probably not going to be practicing law. But at the time, you know, especially in Sydney, in Australia, the universities, to, in order to do a law degree, you had to do a double degree anyway. So my, um, I wanted to actually do business. That was my, my main thing. And I was like, well, if doing a law degree will make my, my parents happy, then I'll just suck it up and <laughs> do do the extra two years that it, um, it takes me. Anyway, all that to say that that was kind of to give you context of my upbringing, like my, you know, the, the path that I was on. So it made sense that I would go into corporate. As I said, I didn't do law, but I did go into it, get into an investment bank. It's the biggest investment bank in Australia called Macquarie Bank. And, you know, I was like doing the thing, you know, I was fortunate because I was put on a pretty big project. It was one of those once in a decade type regulatory reforms that happens in the banking industry in Australia. So high visibility, high, you know, all of those to all the way up to the CEO Mm -hmm. of the bank. And so I was really fortunate because, you know, even as a junior burger, as you know, you know, I was, I was. I had, I was in rooms with all these senior people. And the one thing that that led me to was realizing that corporate wasn't going to be the thing for me because funnily enough, like being in these rooms where I could, I get the visibility, like on the flip side, I could also see what you kind of had to become to climb the corporate ladder, the types of things that you have to do. There was like just a lot of, you know, you hear about the politics, but like that was the first time that I could see it playing out right in front of me, you know, all the back channeling that was happening, all these things. I was just, just like, I don't want to become that. Per- I don't want to have to become that person. And so, you know, I call it my, my quarter life crisis, but I was like, at that time, <laughs> this is, I don't, I don't want to do this. And I didn't, but I didn't know what I, I wanted to do. I think this is the same, uh, similar thing with a lot of people who come from that corporate background, you know, they know that that's not what they want to be doing, but it's like, but what is the thing Exactly. Um, so around that same time, I had kind of just moved in with my then boyfriend, now husband. And he, funnily enough, he was studying medicine. He was studying medicine, but he was actually hating it. He was not enjoying it. And he started, because we just moved out, he started cooking. I thought, you know, I had these visions in my mind that I would be that kind of that woman, you know, I would be able to do it all and I would love to be a domestic queen. I did not. I I am not a good cook. <laughs> First of all, I applaud you for even thinking that because for me, I knew right off the bat, like domestication was just not for me. And right now, my partner and I, we have like, uh, we have a pact. I do not, he does a lot of the domestic pieces and I, we kind of just kind of work it out because God help me if that was the only thing that I had to do. Yeah. I would not make it. No, yeah. So that's definitely, I cannot do that. And down to even now, like, you know, because obviously my, my husband works as well, but he does all the cooking. He enjoys cooking. That's a good thing. But I, and I just cannot do it. I'm the kind of person who's like, I'm, I'm just going to throw a bunch of things into the pot and just, let's just see what happens. Oh my god, the the five minute meals. That that's what I live for. I scroll through Pinterest just to find these five, ten minute deals to the meals so that I can make it. Yeah. And it's just like it's all just about chopping up this, <laughs> chopping up that, throwing it in one pot and the, let's see if it works. Yeah, exactly. So you know, so at that time I was I think we very quickly realized that that was not gonna be my role in the household. So he started cooking and 
but he was enjoying it. And he was also really, really enjoying baking. And I love desserts. Uh, so, you know, we used to travel quite, quite, a, quite a while in Sydney, you know, from one side of Sydney to the other, just to get dessert and um so he would actually be perfecting my favorite desserts for me in the kitchen and one night we were just like you know there, there we were in our quarter life crisis where i'm like i don't know what my next step is he was like i don't know what my next step is because he was hating what he was doing so one day we were over this particularly amazing chocolate fondant that he had made we were like why don't we open a dessert bar because I love desserts. He loves making them. Why not? Why not give it a go? Um, and it's one of those like really, really naive moments when, because obviously we knew nothing. We didn't even come from a hospitality background. Like we didn't even like part-time work in, you know, a cafe or anything like, like nothing. Right. But here we were going like, yeah, we can, we can make, like, we can make this happen. It's going to be easy. <laughs> we're going to make so much money from this. So, by the way, and when I say like we went through the motions and we did it all, there were so many times even because there were things we didn't realize we had to do. Obviously, we have to sign a lease and signing a lease means that you're committed three to five years into this thing. Mm -hmm. We had to fit out a place which costs hundreds of thousands of dollars, which we did not realize. And so we were in debt like from before we even opened. Um, There were all these things that and even as these barriers came up, we still just did them anyway and I'm like I look back now and I'm like how did we <laughs> how did we do that how do we get through this with this blind faith almost that yeah it was gonna we were gonna make it work so anyway so that was our first ever business our first ever business was it's called the chalk pot it's a dessert behind Sydney we opened that back in 2013 and it was you know and again completely naive we were like we know that we have the best dessert like desserts seriously hands down and so we we thought we were like we built it we'll build it and they will come right surely they will come <laughs> and uh you probably know by now that that, doesn't, that is not a marketing strategy that works <laughs> believe me if, if you haven't learned it yet <laughs> you will Exactly. So um, we we built it and they did not come. And we seriously spent months. It was it was some of the loneliest times ever, I think, in my life, because all of our friends, you know, they were all accountants or lawyers or management consultants or, you know, doctors, you know, they were all going down that path. And we were the only ones who were who had completely like pivoted and were doing something completely new. I had no one that I knew that could help, like that had done it before, you know, nothing like that. And so we were just like trying to figure things out. As And by the way, it's not like we had a lot of money. I mean, here, we, you know, mid twenties, like kind of just being like, <laughs> how do we make this thing work? How do we make this thing happen? So anyway, to cut a long story short, we, we eventually we we made it work through a lot of tears and all those things and I actually remember there was this particular moment we were at the dinner by the by the way like so I was still had I started to work full-time because we had debt we we couldn't afford to um to not Ash my my husband was in it was in the business full-time and uh, so I used to go from corporate, so from my nine to five job to then I'd hop on a train and go to 
the store and then I'd work until midnight basically and then you know same thing like every single day and it was I don't even know how far like I'd have to say like six seven months I yeah I don't even know how far into it we finally finally were able to take off a Friday night together like (laughs) it was like it's like Christmas when you get to do yeah, that. seriously. So we yeah, so we were able to finally take a night off together. We were at at a restaurant at one of our favorite Japanese places, and we get this call. So at the time, because we weren't we weren't busy, we only had two people working in the store, and this is a Friday night. You know, you'd think Friday night is going to be your busiest night because we weren't that busy. We still only had two people in the store. Anyway, so we get this call from one of our team members, and I'm like, "Are you kidding me? This is like the one time that we." That we were able to finally take a night off and we get this call and he's like, I can't explain right now. You guys have to come in. Like you have to come in. And we're like, oh my gosh. Okay. This is what is going on. So we, we, we run to the car cause we're like, we don't know what's going on. He's like, I, I have to go, I have to go take this order. I have to go serve this drink. Um, and so we like run to the car, you know, we're, we're racing there. I drop my husband off at the front just, and then go find parking. And like, I still actually picture it to this day because I was at the front of the store and we actually had a crowd. It was packed. Like the place was packed. I know. I was like, I was actually like, I couldn't, never in my wildest dreams. And I think this is the thing with entrepreneurs because we can never, we have these dreams and we have these, and like, wouldn't it be great if this thing happened? But like in the back of your mind, there's always like this thing of like, is that going to happen? Like, I don't know is that actually gonna come like and that was the first time that I was like wow this thing might actually work <laughs> we might actually have a business because yeah we it was the place was packed and it was to the point where like eight we had a line we had people like themselves moving tables around and you know trying to fit themselves in to the place so it was it was amazing anyway so that was it felt like we have become an over an immediate overnight success, even though that there's no such thing. There's no such thing as an immediate overnight success. You know, it's always like oh my God. months or years in the making, right? Like that's kind of what happens. Yes. So how far, okay. So how long did it take to get that crowd? Like, was it like a year in, two years in? It was like just under a year. I would say it was probably, that's mm-hmm. why I'm like, I can't quite remember. If it was like somewhere between sort of seven to 10 months, I would say. Cause we just, we just hustled hard anyway. So that was like one of the, I just had to tell that story. Cause I love, I love that during that moment. So anyway, fast forward, uh, we actually grew that brand. So the chocolate brand to five locations in Sydney. We also started a burger restaurant alongside that. So we had two of those locations in Sydney <laughs> and then, so those are two businesses already. <laughs> and then in, and then in the meantime, so by, I, I want to get the timings, try to get the timings right. So around about 2017 i'd met a lady who i love and she'll feature more in in the rest of my story but her name's bonner so we actually i met her in corporate and so we actually started just exploring this Mm -hmm. i a fashion technology idea and so we were we were kind of doing that somewhat part-time somewhat like you know because you know, it was one of those stories where I was like really frustrated at my shopping experience and all these things. Anyway, I was like ranting to her about it and we were just like, you know what, should we just start seeing if this is something worth doing something with? And so that's why we started exploring that idea. And then end of 2018, 
We found out so that, so Ash, so my husband and I actually found out that one of our store managers of one of our busiest stores located in the heart of the city, we found out that he'd been stealing from us. And we're talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars, like a lot of money. And it sort of took something like that to kind of snap me out of like, and it's funny because, you know, you kind of like, you start a business to to remove yourself from the hamster wheel of a corporate life and, and all that. And then sometimes what can end up happening is you you build your another hamster wheel. Oh, so. Exactly. So that was kind of, I think I didn't realize that until that moment when we kind of needed like something to happen to snap us. And, and when I was looking at the path that we were on and what we were doing, I was like, is this what we want to be doing? Like, is this the path that we want to be on? We started questioning everything. And, you know, I'm a Sagittarius. So I think at my core, I'm like such an explorer. And I love, I love traveling. I love um, exploring new places. Um, all of those, you can probably tell, right? Seven businesses. In, yeah. Anyway, that's, that's like, but I, at that moment, I was like, I've always wanted to work and live overseas. And I was like, what better place than New York City to explore a fashion technology idea, right? The intersection of fashion and technology. <laughs> what better place? So I was like, no, and we just made the decision. So with my husband, I was just like, let's just do this. Let's just move to New York City. Like, why not? You know, we're still young. Yeah, we have businesses that are still running, by the way, in, in Sydney, but we can figure it out. And so I remember talking to Bonner about it, about this decision, and she'd sort of known the whole like background and the betrayal and, and all of that. And she was really, really happy for us. And then as we were talking, I was like, well, do you, why don't you just come? Like, do you just want to come to New York with us? And <laughs> it was, yeah, anyway, cause it was just one of those things, right? It's like, well, why? and she was like, she, first she was like, oh, I, let me think about it. But then eventually, and I didn't actually find this out until like two weeks ago, this particular story. But she, uh, that night, because I, I remember asking her over dinner, we were, have, we were at an Italian restaurant, we we're having lasagna. And then she was like, yeah, that night I went home and I just burst into tears. And she was like, because I think that I knew that I was going to do it. But I also knew that because she's really close to her family and things like that. She also knew that, that she'd have to, you know, she'd be leaving or she'd have to say goodbye you know all those things so anyway so yeah so we we made the move we made the move to New York City so we did that mid-2019 um so just before COVID hit in 2020 uh, and I didn't know that when we moved over that we would not be able to go back to Sydney for like literally we haven't I haven't we haven't been back since we moved over so it would have been almost almost three years now and oh we haven't been yeah in all that time even and the business has still been running by the way like this is the thing anyway so yeah so we hit the ground running so we we landed mid 2019 we hit the ground running with this fashion technology idea we were we, our hypothesis was that our customers were going to be college students or young professionals so we went to like columbia uni nyu campus wall street we were just we just started talking to women to see whether this was going to be a big enough problem to solve. And mm-hmm. while it was a problem for them, it probably wasn't a big enough one that they would have changed their habits for quickly. And so, uh, again, it was like the end of 2019. Uh, it was like Dece- it was actually December. I remember I um, spoke to my co- to Bonner. We were like 
can this work? Like, can we make this thing work? Because we had essentially, when we actually made the decision to, to move to New York, because we had no history, no background, no credit history, none of that, we actually prepaid our rent for 12 months. It was crazy. So we prepaid our rent for 12 months. So we had given ourselves 12 months to make this thing work. And so we had to make this really tough decision to fail this business that we had come over here to make happen. And then, you know, when you're in that position, you're kind of like, because we were like, okay, what do we do now? Like what, <laughs> you know, we only have six months more to make something happen, to make something work. And fortunately, at the same time that we were speaking to customers, we were also speaking to brands and boutiques because they would have to be the other side of the marketplace for this fashion technology idea. And so time and time again, they were always talking about when it was like, what's your biggest struggle? It was always customer acquisition. That was always the thing that they kept saying. So we actually went back to them and we were like, look, we think that we can help solve that problem for you in another way. So we actually ended up falling into doing agency work for essentially e-commerce businesses. And after a while of doing uh, a bit of doing that, that was just a business that we decided that we didn't want to scale and we wanted to more work with people at, on the ground, at the ground level. And so that transitioned us into coaching in 2020. So you can already see the themes, right? I'm like, this is why seven businesses over, <laughs> over you know, over, across five industries, this is just what happens, right? We just, uh, and, you know, you already know probably from my context and my background, like curiosity, I'm, you know, explorer like I'm just always going where you know I have this really really strong sense of curiosity about exploring that that area so yeah so then we went into coaching e-commerce businesses and we grew that business to multiple six figures but I also was feeling this sense of like I don't know like not feeling quite fulfilled not feeling quite happy and I, I didn't feel I didn't know what it was at the time so this was now towards the mid of uh, mid last last year mid mid to third quarter of last year I would say mm-hmm. and I didn't know why I was feeling this way I didn't know and this is me as well where I'm like sometimes I'm like is this just something that I get like really I get like this ADHD where I'm like I just want to keep switching and I I just can't focus and all these things right like I have all these at the same time, I'm always questioning myself to be like, is it me? I went to this event with called Final Hiking Live that Russell Brunson hosts, and he had Tony Robbins speak on the last day. And so Tony Robbins, he was speaking actually about, um, he was talking about these patterns of focus to find happiness or fulfillment. And he said this one thing, and it made me realize, I think, why I was feeling the way that I was feeling at that point in time. So he was saying basically that, one of the reasons why we sometimes feel unhappy is when we focus on, we're constantly focusing on what's missing rather than what we have. And at that point in time, it made so much sense to me because in my in that business, I think what I had always been focusing on were all the gaps and all the things that were that I had perceived was missing. You know, like I had to be more and do more and know more and all these things in order to feel like I was worthy enough of being this leader or being this expert or whatever you want to call it. I think a lot of us go through through this. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and something that I did have was like, you know, I am, and I know people are always surprised when they hear this, but I'm actually this massive introvert. I'm actually a massive introvert who, despite that, 
I would never have thought that. I'm just going to say it right now. I would never have thought that if you could literally like watch her right now, like in her zone, never thought that. <laughs> just say that. Just going to put that out there. Yeah. It's what I see. Here. Like, you know, I, I bring the energy with you, with you now, but I, I, I tell you, Shauna, like after this, I'm going to have to take a nap. Like I'm going I'm I'm to just fall into a heat because I'll have no energy left after this interview. <laughs> That's the kind of introvert I am. But like, and so when I was, you know, when I was listening to Tony speak, I was like, something that I do have is, yeah, I am this introvert who, despite that, have found a measure of success throughout my life, right? Like through school and in university, even though, you know, a, a good portion of those marks is class participation which I hated doing you know getting promoted in corporate even though it's always about who you know is the loudest and who's even in entrepreneurship you know promoting myself I I hate doing all of that so despite being this introvert who constantly hated putting myself out there and doing things like these interviews you know like but you know I still managed to battle through them and make and that makes me remarkable in a certain way and by the way, this is, you know, that's my version of it, but I know that each and every one of us has our own version of that story, right? Where there's something that is holding us back. There's something that, you know, that limits us, what you believe limits us in some way, and yet we still are able to find success. And that makes us all remarkable. Um, yes. And this brings me back, and this and this just brings me back to kind of catch up. How, how did that, and am I saying it right? I want to make sure. Yeah, catch up. Yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go. Okay, so that brings me back to that. Yes. So how did, okay, so what do you do in your business today? So we've we've traveled from Sydney, Australia, all the way to New York, and we've now created like a new business or agency type model, but then we have capture at the same time. So how does that play into all of this? Yeah. Tell me more about how that works, how it works, and where does this content honey trap fall in? Yeah, so it kind of like, it, it does fall off the back of, you know, finding, working out that, you know, this remarkability that's in each and every one of us is something that needs to be shared. And when I was talking to my clients at the time, you know, they were always like, I know I need to tell my stories. I need, to, I know I need, to. and this is, by the way, especially e-commerce, because it's so easy as product-based businesses to hide behind your product and things like that and you know I was always saying you have to be the face especially when you're starting out you are your true differentiator and then always be like that's great Deidre I, I know that but how how do I do that and so that's how Capture actually was born through that and through my epiphany of like I want to actually help people be able to easily and simply tell their stories was how Capture came about. So the software itself, how it started out, and so we actually launched MVP right at the end of last year. And what it started out as being was a way to, you follow some prompts and then to tell your story. And basically it creates a bank of social media captions and emails. So it makes it really, really easy for people, for entrepreneurs to tell their stories. Now, as you can imagine, uh, we were so excited because we were like, we can help all entrepreneurs. And again, that is not a great marketing strategy <laughs> to now try to help everyone. 
because again you'll never nap you'll never have time to sleep eat do anything you think not being able to go to a restaurant was going to be a thing exactly (laughs) exactly and because like you can never you can never get cut through when you try to help everyone right that's that's one of the foundations that we learn in marketing you've got a niche down and we fell into trap we, we made that mistake of like we can help everyone so and we actually had to work with a coach and he had to be like very stern with us to be like no 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 <laughs> that is not what you're doing <laughs> try telling a Sagittarius that <laughs> exactly <laughs> like I'll show you I'll show you <laughs> no um yeah that I I'm, I'm very coachable so I was like okay fine we cannot help everyone so we had to niche down. And so I went through, you know, this was actually only in the last, gosh, couple of months where we went through the exercise of, okay, who is it that we actually want to be working with? And th- that we landed with high ticket coaches and consultants who podcast. And there's a reason for that because podcasting, when you podcast, you already know the power of storytelling. So I don't need to convince you that that's something that you need to be doing. You already know. And so that was just a natural fit for us. And also because I've been podcasting for a long time already so it just is something that I already do right so that just makes sense and the reason why we wanted to focus on high ticket coaches and consultants is because we know that using our strategy that they can convert and if they convert two clients a month that already the ROI on that is already astronomical and so that's where we wanted to focus our efforts on first like right now and so that's where we landed. And so the content high traps, really what that is, it's a system designed to compel your audience through your front end funnel, right? So from your social media to your podcast and then into your, onto your email list or into a conversion event. And why that's important is because um, I actually read about this rule. It's called the seven hour rule that Daniel Priestley wrote in his book, Oversubscribed. And he talks about this seven hours being the length of time it takes for someone to consume your content or to hang out with you or whatever in order for them to buy from you, in order for them to become a raving fan. And even as I was looking at like my background, you know, I ran a lot of challenges and things like that. I was like, oh, there's a reason, like that works. And the way that I buy as well, unless you're buying something like really cheap on Amazon, like, you know, but if you're making an investment, seven hours is actually you know, pretty accurate. You end up consuming their content either through videos or like called YouTube or you listen to the podcast or whatever it is. And when you can bank that seven hours up, then that's when your clients are going to be like, yep, I'm ready. Take my money. It makes that sales conversation so much easier. And so that's why it was really important to be like, okay, how do we create these content hunting traps that where we get people from your social media onto your podcast, listening to your long form content to where you are the expert um, and then into onto your email list or into a conversion event where then converting them becomes really, really simple, really easy. Um, so that's what Content Honey Traps is designed to do. It is all at its very, very foundational level is all about how do you create so much curiosity in someone that they need to follow you to your next step, if that makes sense. <laughs> no, 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 it does. So, okay. So I'm trying to visualize kind of how it works in terms of, um, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a coach coming in. I have probably a list of, uh, 
content that I've created in the past, mm -hmm. would you take that segmented content and plug it into the system? And then based on that, then it creates little, I want to almost say a, like audio um, content clips. So that's one part of it. Yeah. So that's, it's one that's, that's one part. Yeah. So basically what the software and we're developing the software, obviously, as we go, but where our next iteration of it is going to be is creating so the, the strategy of content honey traps is really key because it's really easy to be like, oh yeah, what we do is we create, cap we, we ingest your audio and we create captions and we create audiograms and et cetera. But a lot of people do that relatively blindly, right? And that's, this is a mistake that I see a lot of podcasters do, which is, you know, they create these clips and they give away some of the best stuff. Cause you know, that makes sense, right? You're excited about that. And that's, you know, so much value that you're giving, but you know, the content honey trap strategy is so important because actually the the way that you're going to get people to actually want to listen to a podcast episode is not by giving away the best value, it's by creating curiosity about it. And so what we do is we create that curiosity through, so Capture itself um, does it through social media captions, does it through audiograms where we pick the best curiosity-based parts of the episode and it does it through show notes as well. So it creates show notes, it creates social media captions, audiograms it'll do transcriptions as well so yeah so that's what capture does essentially and will do okay so that's that's actually pretty cool so all right so i know that you said some of your clients before they were telling you the the hard part of you know kind of them being out there in their e-commerce business was getting leads so what is it about the lead the, the lead capture or lead gen that's causing them to struggle the most based on your experience? I think it's probably just not been having a, well, it's, it's always a few things. So it, like when you think about leave, it, everything's a funnel, you know, whatever it is, anything in marketing. And so by the time that we get to, hey, someone being like, yeah, I want to become a lead. I want to sign up to email or whatever it is. Either way, it's always everything preceding that, that makes that, that, contributes to that decision, right? So all the things that precede that are things like, are you actually talking to the right person? Which is why the niching down, you know, conversation we just had is so important because they need to know that you are talking to them, that they are in the right place. So is it that they just haven't niched down enough? Is it because their messaging isn't actually coming through? Is not compelling enough? Is it because they're not using the right channels? Is it because, oh, sorry, they're not on the right platforms and then they're not using it in the right way strategically? Like there are so many points in that before someone actually becomes a lead that things can actually fall down, I guess. And so really like our whole approach to it is, yeah, how do you be really intelligent? Like you make intelligent decisions based on what the data is telling you. And that data can be at any point of that funnel before they even come um, Okay, that, that's, that's actually, you know, it, and, and I don't think a lot of people really put in a lot of, a lot of thinking when it comes to kind of the journey of that customer leading to mm -hmm. the end point where they say, take my money kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. And that goes back to the seven hour principle that you were talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. So I know that you've worked with people both in product and service-based business. So what do you think are some of the big differences between the two when it comes to using podcasts as their marketing tool? Yeah, I mean, definitely um, I haven't seen as many um, product-based businesses use podcasting, but they like I, I do have um, clients who, who have. 
And essentially how we think about it is it's almost like with a product-based business, it's almost, it feels like it's almost one step removed in a way. And let me explain. So when you're like a coach or you're, you know, you're an expert, you're a service-based business, it's relatively easy to talk about the thing that you are selling because that's you, right? Like you're selling you, your experience, your stories, your your how-tos, like all of that. And so it's quite e- simple. Seems it's not, never, nothing's ever easy, but it's simple, to, relatively simple to talk are about. Sure? <laughs> <laughs> when you have a product-based business, you almost have to like lift the product in a way. So rather than being like, oh, I'm just going to talk about um, hair scrunchies day in, day out, because that's what I sell. It's like, okay, but why why did you even sell hair scrunchies? Like what are you trying to actually build? Because as you said, even in your intro, like building a podcast is like building a community, right? So if you're going to podcast, what are you actually trying to build a community around? So I have a client who sells men's skincare. She is a plastic surgeon and she worked with a dermatologist to come up with this line, this men's skincare line. And the reason why she started it was because her husband was, you know, struggling with particular skin issues. And so that's how they they fell into it. When we worked with her, you know, we were really specific about the type of man that she was actually targeting. And it was essentially her husband, you know, in the sense of like, like, professional because I think he's in it I think he's an accountant um, or in finance he's a CFO maybe somewhere so you know qualified professional you know cares very family focused you know cares about also looking good and leveling up and all those things so he very psychographically had defined the type of man that she was going after so when you then start then you go okay well what does this man actually care about you know they care about learning they care about like ingesting other people's opinions and having a rigorous debate you know they care about all these things and that's what you can then go okay this is what I'm going to podcast about this is what I'm going to create content about essentially so she has all sorts of guests that will actually where she brings people together to make a real something really compelling for this particular man that she's speaking to so that's kind of how you know, it's, it all ends up coming to the same thing, which is who is that person you're speaking to, whether you're a product or service-based business. But I think it's just that extra step of having to think, lifting your product up to what is it that your person actually cares about. Yeah, I love that. I think that's, that's a lot. I think that's a that's an area that people probably miss or overlook mm. when they're doing product-based. Um, and, and, and to your point, they think that it's probably easier for someone who is doing service-based branding yes. as opposed to them actually being out there talking about the product and talking about their avatar, the yes. people who might want the product. Yes. So, and have you noticed any difference between, you know, like pre-pandemic versus today, kind of what, how it's been in terms of the trends? Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, online is is big. Um, definitely in a hospitality business, we were actually pretty fortunate because even before the pandemic hit, we had started transitioning a lot of our business online. And what that means is like through delivery platforms like Uber, Uber Eats and things like that, we were actually creating quite a few, yeah, um, call them ghost kitchens, like we were actually using, you know, and so then when the pandemic de- pandemic hit, we were actually really well placed to sort of really like take advantage of that. Now that's hospitality. What we see like 
what that has therefore translated to more broadly is that obviously more people are online and more people had time to consume content. And not only that, but more people also had time to explore other areas and other interests. So what what we definitely saw was when, you know, the, the pandemic hit, like there was a proliferation of new businesses, you know, going like either going online or being stood up, being created which meant that at that time, you know, a lot of coaches and a lot of, you know, saw this like big spike because everyone wanted help, right? Yeah. Um, But also, you know, it was like demand went up, but also supply went up because a lot of, you know, people also entered. But then, you know, as things are opening back up and stuff now, it's like, and, and now that that time has passed and, you know, we all know that being an entrepreneur isn't an easy thing to do. So if you can survive through the period and, and, at the back of it and realize that it's something for you awesome like it's been it's I think it was one of those events that you know happened in life that's actually like unfortunately can be a fortunate thing but not you know yeah not in a good way that makes I don't know like you know what I mean it wasn't a good thing that happened but like you know for for in the in the context of this of what we're talking about it would have been a good thing for some people yeah yeah uh, and then on the other hand, I think it was a good way for people who went into entrepreneurship to realize that maybe it's not for them. And so, you know, we're probably seeing more people leaving the, you know, the entrepreneurship industry, uh, which means that's supply in- decreasing, but also demand decreasing. So, you know, it, everything normalizes in the end. Yeah. I don't know if that was, that answered your question, but that's kind of what I've been seeing more holistically. No, I, I totally agree with you with that because I think during the pandemic, everybody, there was nothing else to do. We were all mm-hmm. just home consuming content yes. and everybody was trying to figure out how do I get online? How do I get online? And I think now it's now the stage where people are like, okay, well now I'm online, but the, the con- consumers now are saying, I want more connection. I want to yeah. be more in person again. And it's such a, it's, it's now like a little shift because it's like, I don't want to be on Zoom. I don't want to do this. I want to go to a retreat now. So you're seeing like the, you're seeing people in terms of their consumer behavior, seeing it shift again. And then you're also seeing from a business owner standpoint, you're seeing the ones that are here for the long haul and the others that are kind of rethinking. So I do agree with you. I think that's absolutely bang on. (laughs) (laughs) So everybody for the pandemic has jumped into a pa- I call it the pandemic hobby so <laughs> what was your pandemic hobby was it Bridgerton were you like <laughs> oh, I mean I did I I'm not gonna lie I did binge watch Bridgerton for sure <laughs> what was your thing like <laughs> yeah, I, you know what like I think that I did actually get back into reading quite a bit before yeah, before before I guess the the pandemic hit. Like I, I I was always a big reader, but I think with the move over, like we had to I had to leave all my books. It just didn't make sense to bring them. All of that I kind of like went through this lull of not really reading a lot. But I think yeah, that's probably one thing that I've kind of my my bookshelf has now built back up <laughs> through that period. So yeah, so definitely I think getting back into reading has been the big thing I've done nice yeah at least you at least you have something a little bit safe you know (laughs) she's like no I didn't take up biking I didn't become a motorcyclist I didn't 
<laughs> just like just reading. No, no, yeah, just reading. Yeah, I yeah, running as well. I did take yeah. up running again, but um, yeah, it's just self self you know self help stuff. That's like I'm just looking after myself. That's awesome. <laughs> so we're almost at the end, and I wanted to know what are three tips that you can share with the audience about just kind of growing and scaling their business while they're trying to use like podcasts as their marketing option. Mm. Yes. So I think uh, it always comes down to similar things, but definitely know who it is that you're speaking to. Because again, if you're speaking to no, like if you're trying to speak to everyone, you're speaking to no one and take it from someone who has made that mistake over and over again. It is not something that unfortunately you can hoodwink. You know, you can't just be like, oh, I'm just going to try it again one more time and see if it works. <laughs> it does not work. <laughs> so that's one thing. I think the second thing is, yes, content honey chart. So be intentional I guess this is the thing, like if you're going to use your podcast, I know that people start podcasts for a whole variety of reasons and that's totally cool. But at some point in time, you know, because I went through this, it's kind of looking at the time that, and the effort that you're putting into podcasting and going, is it actually generating anything for you? Like as entrepreneurs, we're always generally looking for an ROI on everything that we do, right? That's how our businesses grow. And it's not just an ROI on our money, but it's also an ROI on our time. So if we're going to put our valuable time into doing something, start thinking about whether you want to actually be making an ROI from it because uh, otherwise, you know, yeah, it's it very quickly it becomes, it can seem more like a chore than something that you're doing um, that's serving something. So I think that's the thing, like think about what is the ROI that you actually want to get out of your podcast. For me, definitely, it's more been way more intentional about using it to get leads. That is how I would highly encourage everyone to think about their podcast is ultimately to be getting leads. And so, so that's more of a mindset thing, you know, uh, to, to, to change, I guess, or shift maybe that you need to make towards your podcast. And then, so yeah, so know who you're talking to, work out what ROI you want to get from your podcast. And then I think the third thing is like, it's always going to be about systemization, especially when you're looking to scale. If you're currently editing your podcast yourself, if you're currently creating all of the promotion materials, like you got to stop doing that. And I don't even mean like, you know, and, and, and doing it in a cost-effective, smart way. Like I know that outsourcing to an agency and trust me, I've been an agency. I've been on both sides. I've hired agencies. I've been an agency myself. I think at the heart of it, like they want to do the best by their clients, but because of being capped by capacity, being capped by, you know, like all of these things, it's easy to just be, feel like you're part of a yeah. machine. So the way that I've best solved for that myself is getting a VA and creating a really, and this is actually what we help clients do as well as we actually embed a system in their business that takes all of the social media, all of the marketing, all of the product podcast stuff out of the CEO's hands so that they, the CEO is only spending two hours a week total on activities around creating content and all of that sort of stuff. That's it, two hours a week on social media activities. So I would highly, highly recommend that you start systemizing like ASAP. You, No matter where you are in your business, if you want your business to grow, you've got to stop doing you got to start spending your time doing non-value adding Absolutely. activities. Yes. So what's next for you? What's next for you? Your journey, the yes. seven businesses. Well, oh. no, not seven, but. <laughs> yes. No, no. I'm focusing. I'm focused. This cap show is, uh, yeah, is, is 
is is the one. I shouldn't say say it like that, but um, yeah, it's. I'm super excited actually about where we're taking this the software. You know, we beginning of this year we hired a CTO, we have full time developers, we are actually like making we're putting a lot of investment and time behind making this software the best that it can be for podcasters that's yeah that's what we want to do so that's what we're gonna be focusing on okay so where can people find you and learn more about capture and how it could help their business if they're interested yeah so um i'm on all the social media channels and you know so look me up either dg shen or capture um I think on social on Instagram it's Capture HQ actually, um, but go to djshen.com and everything like the software is there. Some courses and programs that I have um, are on there as well. If you want help, you know, actually building your podcast, and also uh, I have a podcast myself. So it's called Grow My Podcast Show. Um, it is for high ticket coaches and consultants who are looking to intentionally intentionally generate leads from their podcast. So yeah, come and join me over there. We have a ton of fun. Awesome. All right. This was amazing, Deirdre. Like I loved everything about this, even just hearing about like the journey from, you know, like your, well, like me, you didn't want to do the the cooking stuff. <laughs> and then it went in, then you created a restaurant around desserts, like the best thing ever. And then having multiple locations and then moving into this journey of helping now high ticket coaches and also creating your own agency and being able to kind of transition the way you did in a different country, different part of the, the world, like this has been fantastic and I appreciate you coming on to the show and I'm looking forward to like really just kind of hearing more about Cap Show and just kind of seeing where it takes you. Thank you so much. Yeah. I loved, I loved having you. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. All right. So with that, if you guys want to check out Deidre and just kind of learn more about Cap Show, please feel free to like reach out to her. The information will be in the show notes below. Thank you for listening to the Scale to Grow podcast. If you would like to know more about how we can help you to take the guesswork out of your business, visit us at www.concaveservices.com. 